0: This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Uh, we do one thing in our community groups as we get together um, regularly. We, we talk about a question or a first, like we talk about something we call it a getting to know you question. It's just a a question to kind of break the ice, you know, trying to figure out, we want to learn more about each other in a normal setting. So we talk about favorite desserts and all these kinds of things. And one of the questions that we went through recently was, um, what's, a, what's one of your favorite holiday traditions growing up? When you think about any holiday, what's a tradition you remember? What's a tradition that you think through? You're like, oh yeah, I remember doing this as a kid or I remember growing up. I'm sure that if I went around the room right now, um, and asked you, maybe even some of you are thinking about those right now, thinking, oh yeah, I remember doing this as a, as a kid. One of the things that I remember doing as a kid, not so much anymore, but every Thanksgiving, um, for whatever reason, I don't know why, because it doesn't really relate to, to Thanksgiving, but The Wizard of Oz always came on. It was like The Wizard of Oz at night, it would always come on, we'd always watch it. And, um, you know, that, that's an, it's an interesting movie, some of us are terrified by it, the monkeys scare us. Um, you know, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's a story of Dorothy. She, she's in Kansas, and then this tornado hits, and she goes to this land of Oz, and she's trying to figure out how to get home, and she's told to go to the, to the wizard. And so she, she with a, some friends she meets, she meets the wizard, and when they, when they meet the, this wizard, it's just this light and loud, you know, thunder. And the, his voice is loud, and he's this big floating head, you know, and so they're terrified of him. They're in awe. It's like this wonder of, oh my goodness, who is this wizard? I, this wizard must be amazing. And so the wizard gives her a task, and she accomplishes it, and she comes back. And while she's back the second time, her dog Toto pulls the curtain back. And you see that what the wizard actually is is just some dude behind a curtain pulling levers, talking into a microphone, and he's trying to, he's trying to like make himself something. He's trying to produce awe, but the more that they see him, the more they realize, I don't know, Like the awe kind of goes away. The wonder kind of goes away. It's like you see more of something in the, in the awe or the wonder leaves. We, we've had this maybe in your own life, maybe with things like, you know, you, you have this high um, view of maybe a, a business that you're going to work for or something like that. And then you kind of get in there and you realize, ah, oh, I thought this, you know, I, I was in awe of this place and all of a sudden maybe not so much or um, you, you just see a little bit more behind the scenes and that awe and that wonder kind of goes away. And And I kind of think that as we think about the Christian life, it can be similar, and we have to fight it that the more we uh, the more we we know about Jesus, the more we see him, the the longer in our life that we've studied him, the longer that we've read our Bibles and maybe we've read the whole thing and we've we've sat in church and we've heard people talk about who Jesus is and and we you know we pray every day and we you know, all this stuff, the longer we are exposed to him, I think sometimes uh, the less awe or wonder we can have in him. It should be the opposite, but a lot of times it's not. It's the the longer we've been, if you think about when you just first became a Christian, maybe you became a Christian later in life, and, and initially you're like this awe and wonder at him, and you think about now, what's the difference? There's this steady decline of awe and wonder. He becomes familiar. There's something about him that becomes familiar. You know why? I think it's because, because we have gained so much more knowledge of him that we think, okay, I think I get him. But here's the thing. We, we, can, we can see more of him and still never exhaust knowing all of him. But we think we do. God, like, oh, I've read my Bible. I know it. You know, Even we talk about Mark, maybe you've been a Christian for 40 years and you've read the Bible many times. We're going through Mark and you go, yeah, I get it. This is, a, this is a plague that we have to fight, I think. Because one of the dangers, Christian, is that we become so familiar with him that we don't stand in wonder of him. We're no longer in awe of him. We actually forget to listen to him. We don't see him as clearly as we, we could. The things that he says to us, we, we are distracted and we think about other things. If you're not a Christian, perhaps you've lost wonder. You shouldn't have lost any wonder, non-Christian, because he is your maker. But you've lost wonder to the point where unbelief has hit you. Unbelief and rejection. And and we we have to fight these things. Because our big idea this morning is that we lose, Christian. You lose when you lose uh, the wonder of Jesus. You lose. Because all of your life is supposed to be lived for him him and his glory and and his name and who he is and yet the the longer we we just sit in this lack of wonder of him we we are prone i think uh to have outcomes of unbelief or or of uh of familiarity and and distraction and these things can kind of hit us and i want to make sure we hit this this morning the question is for you and I, i want you to ask this question of yourself have you lost the wonder have you lost some of your wonder of who Jesus is? Are you living a life that's primarily about the wonder of this existence instead of the kingdom that Mark talks about? The kingdom coming, the, the kingdom of Christ that, that is part of us that we live in, but yet we still live here in this world, and we can be so enamored with this place and, and the, 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 you know, the, the lack of Jesus found in this culture that we, are, we lack the wonder of the King. And his kingdom. And we want to make sure that we, we don't do that because we're going to see this morning in Mark that the disciples are beginning to lose the, their wonder. And Jesus questions them. Have you, have you lost something? Are you, you still not believe? And I wonder if that question is posed to us too. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, I'm going to read uh, Mark beginning in chapter 8, verse 11. I'm just going to read you verse 21. We're going to break it down and figure out how we can live it out and then we'll sing some more we go. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. It says this. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Let me just say that it's never a good idea to argue with Jesus. It doesn't usually go well for those that do it um, in the Bibles, especially when you demand something from him because we can't demand something from the King of Kings. He can freely give it to us and we can ask, but when, he, when we demand, uh, typically, um, that doesn't go well. Jesus sighing deeply in his spirit. This is like a this is an emotion that we should feel. It's a deep sigh. Have you ever gotten to this point where something maybe happens over and over, and you just think, finally, it's finally we're done with this, and then it hits again. You're just like, come. <laughs> it's just this. The, all the wind goes out of your sails. Like I just going to take a nap. You know, it's that kind of feeling. Now, this is Jesus' deep sigh in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And truly, I tell you, strong. That's like a, I assure you, I, I before God and these witnesses kind of thing, this will never happen here. Jesus is, Jesus is strong here. And then he leaves them. He left them. He got back into the boat and went to the other side. He goes to the Gentile side. He's now, he's in the Jewish side here. He goes to the Gentile side. He goes to the east side. This is a, this is a judgment on the Pharisees. It's a judgment. And really, this is the last time he's really going to interact with them this kind of way until he gets to Jerusalem. Because at this point now, this is going to end uh, at the kind of the first act of Mark. And we're getting into the second act where he's going to spend most of his time with the disciples. And he begins marching toward Jerusalem to the cross at this point. So this is, this is a turning point in Mark. He goes to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Now remember, he just fed 5,000 at one point. He fed 4,000 at another point when they didn't have bread either. And these guys hear a warning from Jesus about the leaven of the Pharisees, and they're like, oh, wait a second, we didn't bring any bread. Just like us, isn't it? There's sometimes we just go, we'd like to say these guys are morons, but then at the same time, we think, well, we do the same stuff. I mean, God meets us yesterday, and today we're like, when is it God going gonna to work for me or what? Right? We just forget. Last week, He gave us whatever He gave us, and we were like, thank you, Lord. And then today, Something goes wrong, and we're like, Is God here? You know, we forget uh, just like they did. This is, makes the Bible real because they're like us. We are like them. Aware of this, he said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Don't, do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Which this is an indictment because remember, there's insiders and outsiders in Mark, and he's asking questions to them that he's asked of all the outsiders. Why, don't, why aren't you guys seeing this? Are you guys outsiders still? Do you not understand? And he says, uh, And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? seven they said and he said to them don't you understand yet this is um like i said this is a turning point here because he's going to spend most of the rest of his journey here with the disciples he's going to be doing ministry but it's going to be primarily with the disciples and he's going to try and just stay with them he i don't know maybe maybe this is the part we realize is you know what i got to spend way more time with these guys because they still don't get it. You know, before he was like, I think that these guys are getting it maybe. You know, in his humanity, he's like, I, these guys are getting it. All right, sweet. And all of a sudden, wait a second, got to time out on all the other stuff because these guys are supposed to build the church pretty soon and they still don't understand. He's almost in awe of their lack of belief. And so here, here he's going to spend after this most of his time marching to to Jerusalem, just spending time pouring into these guys, spending time with them. Listen, making the way of the kingdom very clear to them, and also making the way of the cross very clear to them. This is going to be the trajectory at this point. The way of the kingdom, the kingdom of of the coming, uh, of the Son who came, the Messiah is going to be clear, and the fact that if you're going to follow Jesus, the way you follow him is to take up your cross and follow him. This is going to become very clear, actually, within the next couple sermons. We're going to see much of this start to hit and land, which would have been new to them. But as we, as we see this, we talk about this idea of lost wonder. And there's two outcomes here in these two different groups, the Pharisees and the disciples, that we see two outcomes of lost wonder uh, that I just want to address quickly as we talk about breaking this down. The first is the, the outcome of that leads to unbelief and opposition of lost wonder. Remember, every single person, male or female, in this world that has ever existed or that ever will exist, exists as an image-bearer of the living God. We, We have been created, we have been made by Him, intentionally crafted in the womb by Him for His glory. That's why we all exist, we exist as image bearers, those that bear his image to, to proclaim his worth and to give him glory. And when sin broke into the world, so did the, lost, so did the wonder of who he is. It actually obscured the view. The, the wonder of, of God, the maker, the, the one who loves and pursues us, was lost on us when sin broke into the world through, through Adam and Eve. And so we look at this and we see opposition by the Pharisees, And it doesn't seem like opposition at first because they're simply asking a question. Hey, can you prove to us that you are a prophet? Which in the Old Testament was very common. The guys would, you know, prove to us that you're a prophet and they would. They would would prove it. It was a common thing for people to do. Here's the difference, though, with these guys. How much more does Jesus have to prove himself? Because because he's he's raised people from the dead, he's healed people, he's cast out demons, he's fed five thousand, more like probably ten or fifteen thousand with women and children, he's fed four thousand, he's walked on water, he's done so many things, and still they say we need to see more. It's a little bit like I think in, in what's actually happening, it's a little bit like a magician who's trying to do magic tricks but then you have the one person there that's trying to thwart him, you know? There's, there's people that are like, okay, here, uh, pick a card, and they pick a card, and then, and then but they, they do it in a way that then they, you know, quickly grab a different card because they're trying to, ha-ha, like I'm, I'm catching an aha moment, or maybe, maybe a kid, you know, accidentally walks up and pulls the, you know, pulls whatever's behind you, see all the stuff behind there, you're like, oh no, the magician's just been exposed. They're trying to expose him for a fraud. And Jesus I mean, he has nothing left to prove to them. This is actually just a proof of their unbelief and their opposition. It's a proof of their rejection of him, is what's happening here. And so he, he says, I'm not going to give you any more signs. If you don't believe what I've already given you, then I'm going to just go to the other side, to the Gentile side. And really, this is, a, this is a, maybe a, a future uh, you know, pointing to what would happen, uh, the, the leaving of the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the priests, the, the, the Judaism here, and taking the message to the, to the other peoples. Perhaps this is what's happening, and Jesus is just saying, look, I'm gonna go over to the other side. The, the Pharisees lost the wonder of the maker and king. They've actually lost the wonder of God. They've, they've made a God in their own image. They've said, I want God to be these things. We've seen this a number of times where it's about traditions and culture and all of this. And Jesus is saying, what about me? And they say, show us a sign. He says, I'm going to the other side. You've you've, you've lost the wonder of God. And your preferences have taken over what the Bible says. Study the scriptures, you'll see that I am the one who was to come and yet you refuse to do it in your opposition and your unbelief because you've lost the wonder of your maker. You've lost the wonder of the one you're supposed to be worshiping and so I'm going to go to the other side in judgment. And maybe maybe you're here this morning, like I said before, and you're not a Christian. Maybe you know you're not a Christian. Maybe you're um, a high school or junior high kid. Maybe you're new to the church. Maybe you're watching online. I don't know. But maybe you're, you've, you've been seeking for a while and you're wondering about who this God is. Let me tell you who He is. And if you choose not to believe it, that's on you, like Jesus. I'm just going to say, I'm going to tell it to you. You don't have to believe it, but there is judgment. H- here's the reality. You've been made by a God who loves you, who, who makes you in His image, non-Christian. And your, your choice to either believe or to not believe is your choice, but your eyes have been tainted. You, you don't have the wonder of the Maker. And what's incumbent upon you to do is to, and I think it's as basic and simple as this, cry out to the maker that you need him and that you want to see him. He will make himself plain to you. Ask him. You think, well, I don't want to test him. Well, you're not testing him. You're asking him to show himself to you. And I think that those are the the prayers that he loves to answer. So ask that question because to, to be under his care, to be under his kingdom, is simply just recognizing that you can't do it on your own. You need another to, to walk with you and to actually save you from yourself, save you from your sins. And he can do it. Ask him and he will. This is my plea to you. Otherwise, uh, there will, and this, you know, the, the best part about that is that now is the time. Because there will be a time when you leave this earth for the final time, when you close your eyes and you breathe your last breath, that you will see him face to face, and your decisions here matter there. Will you follow him or not is the, is the question. So this is the first outcome. It's unbelief and opposition. But I'm guessing that, that more of us in this room are in the second category, the second outcome of opposition, which is familiarity and distraction. Becoming overly familiar and distracted, which the disciples find themselves in this place because Jesus gets in the boat from the Pharisees and he says, look, guys, I need to tell you, this is of utmost importance. You need to understand this. You need to beware. I'm giving you a solemn warning. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he uses the word leaven. You know, we we don't often talk in leaven terms. Um, I think maybe yeast is similar, maybe. I don't know. I don't think about baking. I'm assuming it is. Um, but it, it works its way through the whole of the bread, and it, and it gets into it, and it affects every part of it. And he's saying you have to be careful in terms of bread that, that this leaven, this little bit of thing that will, that will grow and continue to multiply throughout the whole thing doesn't hit you. This is of utmost importance. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He throws Herod in there, which is fascinating. Because so far, Herod hasn't been a problem except for what he did to John the Baptist which is behead him, which I think Jesus understands is going to be uh, his future as well. It's the killing. It's the killing of God's people, of Jesus, of of the prophet that would come before. And so he's saying, beware of this. Beware because this is going to get inside of you. This is going to creep in and you guys need to beware. Jesus fully knows, pretty soon I will no longer be with you. And I want you to warn you that you have to beware of this. What just happened over there where they're asking for signs, beware that doesn't happen to you. Don't be an outsider like this. You have me here present. Beware. And the disciples, uh, instead of asking questions about this, like maybe some good questions would have been, hey, tell me more about what is this leaven that you speak of? Or maybe... Um, wow, this seems like a strong warning, Jesus. Can you expound upon this a little bit more? Instead of these kinds of things, they they aren't in awe, they aren't in wonder. They're actually distracted by the fact that one of the idiots there forgot to bring more bread. I'm hungry, who's got the loaves of bread? I thought you were going to bring the bread. No, no. I thought Peter had it. Don't look at me. I thought it was John's job. It wasn't my job. It was, you know, whoever's it was. And they begin talking about and discussing who, why didn't somebody else bring the bread? And you can just imagine, like I think about Jesus sitting there and he tells them this and he's just staring at them all thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Like these guys, you know? Like you can just imagine that he's just wondering what is going on? Because these guys forgot to bring enough bread. And he's also thinking not too long ago, We were in a boat, and they were in awe that I calmed a storm. Not too long ago, we were in a boat. They were in awe, shocked, marveling that I walked on the sea. Now we're in a boat. There's no more marveling, and there's no more wonder. Now they're just concerned about bread. Even though he's telling them, hey, you need to be be careful with these things. Also, not too long ago, they were in wonder and awe that he took loaves and fish and he just multiplied it to thousands of people twice and they're still concerned that one of them forgot bread don't you think someone would say why don't we just ask Jesus to multiply it they don't think that they think why didn't somebody stop at the store I don't know like we have some wonder bread over here but did anybody bring like I like rye bread who brought the rye bread how come we don't have that pumpernickel I don't know, like somebody bring the pumpernickel, who's got the mustard? Everybody forgot it, I don't know what to do. They're so distracted. They're so distracted. Listen, they've become so familiar, I think, with how many things Jesus has done. Think about all of the things they've seen him do. They've seen him heal and cast out demons. Some of them saw him raise a little girl to life. He's fed 5,000, he's walked on water. He's calm to sea, he said, stop, peace be still. And the sea went, okay. Now he's talking to them and they're like, yeah, 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 we get it. But the bread really is the the issue here. So familiar with him. So overly familiar that any wonder they ever had has been lost. And now Jesus begins asking questions like, have you ever actually believed in me? What? Why are you asking these questions? Don't you see me? I'm I'm standing right here here? Do you want me to get back into the sea and stand on it for a second to show you, remind you who I am? Like, wh- what is going on? They've absolutely forgotten and they've absolutely lost it. And here's, here's the, the, one of the themes of Mark. Again, I said this before, insiders and outsiders. So far, they've always been insiders. Now Jesus is asking questions as if they're not. Maybe you're outsiders. I mean, even, even uh, these last, this last question he asks in verse 21, I have to put my glasses on to read the number. Uh, verse 21, uh, don't you understand yet? <laughs> Guys, don't you understand yet? Clearly, they did not understand yet. They didn't get it. And really, one of the things that I just want to hit on briefly, listen to, the, think listen to the podcast, I'll talk more about this, but he's actually pointing not just to the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 here, he's reminding them that those things point to the fact that he's the God of the Exodus. Don't you remember all of the ways that God has provided for you in for thousands of years? I'm just reminding you of these things. And they, they didn't, they, they missed it. They've lost the wonder. See, they, they lose because they lost the wonder. They're, they're, they're missing something. Actually, they're missing something so important in his warning because he's trying to help them understand what's about to happen to them. There, there's something about it where if that leaven of the Pharisees comes in, like maybe he's not who he says he is. When he dies on the cross, they're all going to scatter and be done. And Jesus is trying to say, listen, you have to be careful. Trust me. I am who, I am who. I said I am. I am who uh, you say that I am. And actually, right after this, uh, Peter is going to confess him as the Messiah, just right after this. And so there's, there's this beginning of, of this understanding, and Jesus is trying to help them see it. But listen, this is so common to us, isn't it? Because so often we, as Christians, who have spent time with him, we've, we've also, like the disciples, we've lost the wonder we, we don't see him as the one uh, who is the maker of everything. Sometimes we read our Bibles and we compartmentalize Jesus in the Gospels as the man. And we forget to expand that to Genesis 1 as the maker. We can't see Jesus as just the man without seeing him also as the maker. Those two things... Have to go together in your thinking as you read your Bible, as you pray. You're praying not to the man Jesus only, although he still exists that way. You're praying to the man who made everything. And also Colossians says the man who holds everything together by the word of his power. You're sitting in benches right now because Jesus is holding that bench together by the word of his power. You hold your Bibles. Because he made fingers to be able to hold Bibles and because if he didn't hold your hands together by the word of his power, everything would fall apart. In, in that, you forget, we forget sometimes, I forget too, that by his holding everything in the word of his power, he did so when he was lying in a manger as a baby. We forget that he holds everything together by the word of his power when he hung on, on a cross for you, when his blood was drained from his body for you. When he rose from the dead for you, all of that happened because he is the God who made everything, who holds everything together by the word of his power, who died to forgive you of your sins, who rose against the, uh, from the dead to put a seal on that, who sent us his spirit that continues to work in us and mold us and shape us and grow us and gift us and do all of that for the proclamation of his glory, who pursues you in love He doesn't pursue you out of anger. He pursues you out of love. Sometimes we can think, you know, bad things are happening to me because God is mad at me. I would say no. No, things happen to us because we count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when we encounter trials of various kinds because those trials produce endurance and perseverance so that we might know him and see him and trust him more. It's out of his loving pursuit and kindness of us that he... he, he allows us to, to walk in certain things look we can't lose the wonder of who he is and my words I can't even do it justice on the wonder that he's given I mean think about your life what do you wonder at with him what do you think about and you just think man I love the fact that Jesus is the one I get to worship because look at what he's done when do you remember all that he's done for you When do you remember his faithfulness to you? We have a temptation to get amnesia on his faithfulness, but to remember every single thing that he hasn't answered for us in a positive way. Well, he didn't answer this, and he didn't do this, and this happened to me, and I guess that I can't trust him anymore. And my guess is if we were to go back and also say, yeah, but where was he faithful to you? Either you you wouldn't remember, or as you did recount remember, I think your faith would probably start to fill back up in that empty tank of faith, right? Because it's, it's when we remember who he is and his faithfulness, we begin to wonder again as he's the one who not just calmed the sea, he's also the one who parted the sea. And we need to, we need to grasp this. And the question is, have you lost the wonder? Where have you lost the wonder? Listen, as we get ready to close, we, we get to, and I say this very intentionally, intentionally, We get to, Christian, you get to live by faith today. There will be a day where you will see Jesus. You're going to see him face to face. And there will be no more need of faith. Because faith is going to go away. We'll see him. He's going to be in front of us. We won't have to trust in something we can't see anymore. Today, you and I get the privilege of living this life uniquely. This is the only time in our existence as people where we get to exercise daily faith in the God that made us. At some point, we will not have this opportunity anymore. This is unique to us as people. We get to trust in the God that made us, that he will keep us and protect us and be faithful to us and love us and be good to us. And as we do so, we get to watch him prove it. We don't have to ask him to, you know, hey, we're we're testing you now. We're we're demanding that you give us a sign. We don't have to ask that because he does it over and over and over again. We have the opportunity to watch him work this way. The angels look down and they marvel at what he's doing. Do you? We want to make sure that we see him clearly, church, because... If we lose our wonder, then what happens is we are either on a path, I think, to unbelief or on a path uh, uh, to familiarity. We want to wonder at him. When we wonder at him, we see him for who he is. And the disciples needed a really good dose of this, and they're going to get it because he's going to spend so much time with them. He heals a blind man right after this. Peter confesses right after this he starts to talk about his death and his, and his predicted resurrection. And, and all these things begin to start to come clear. And pretty soon, he's going to take three of his disciples up to a mountain and he's going to really show him who he is. Which I can't wait for that sermon. You know why? Because Moses, this is a future sermon, but listen, Moses never got to see what he's going to see. Moses shows up here uh, in Israel. Israel. He only got to be outside of it. He got to look in. He didn't get to go in. But Jesus says, it's time. You know why? Because he's faithful. And we get, to, we get to see these things. Two ways we can live this out. The first one is this. Fight to see Jesus again for the first time. And wonder. And here's where I took that line from. I remember when Star Wars... Yeah, I'm a Star Wars nerd. I know. It's okay. Um... When Star Wars was, was uh, redone. They did, like, the, the new versions. You know, they added all the stuff and they redid everything George Lucas did in the late 90s. Uh, the, the tagline for that, to go see A New Hope, was come experience this again for the first time. Come experience this again for the first time. Meaning, hey, you've already seen this, but let's just see it in a different way. Let's come again. And I'm saying, this is what we need to do for Jesus, We need to constantly be fighting to see him again for the first time. What was it like when you saw him for the first time? What was that feeling in your heart when you just realized, oh my goodness, I see him. Maybe think about an experience that you've had where you saw him in, in awe and wonder for who he was. We want to fight to see that again. We want to fight to pray. Maybe this is just spending intentional time praying and asking God to open your eyes again by his spirit to see him clearly. Maybe it's just pondering his working. Maybe it's reading your Bible again and going back and saying, hang on, let me remember who God is because I can't separate Matthew, Mark, Luke, John God from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers God. Same God, same working, same pursuit, same love, same faithfulness. We have to see see him. We want our, our eyes to be open. So fight for that. Do not fall into just distractions. Look, our life is full full of distractions and actually the world that we live in is constantly trying to distract us even more there's another app coming out and another thing coming out and another tv station, and another and I'm, but before you know it i mean i'm the same way i'm paying for like 10 different you know streaming services and i got you know stuff going on and i'm like this app and my, on my phone and i i look how much you know my phone sends me a weekly update this is how much time you spent on your phone you go really doesn't seem like that much time um we're just constantly distracted and you're being discipled by something. But we've got to fight to see Jesus uh, again for the first time and then wonder. We want to be purposely biblical, like I said earlier. And the second way that we can live this out is to live in groups. This is one of our, um, one of our connection strategies for how to get plugged into Anchor. It's intentional. You know, gather on Sundays, What you're doing. Thank you for being here, braving the exodus of the summer. Um... Living in groups and finding joy through serving one another, those are the three ways. We feel like if you're doing all those three things, I think you're going to find yourself meaningfully involved here and meaningfully connected. But living in groups is more than just connection. Living in groups means joining a huddle group or joining a community group. huddles like discipleship, smaller groups. Community groups like a small group, you know, 15 to 20 people. Um, join those because those intentionally are set up to encourage one another to see Jesus. To wonder at him, you know why? When I, when I'm sitting in that group, in my group, and I, we're going around talking about prayer requests, or and someone says, "Hey, let me just tell you an answer to prayer." I've been praying for this person. This is what God did. My wonder level goes up. When we when we are uh, going through, you know, something in the Bible, answering some of these questions, and I hear people talk and and I know the struggles in their life, and yet they're still trusting him and they've seen his faithfulness, my wonder level goes up. When you're going through a book study or something like that in your huddle group and you, and you get to a, a, a chapter in that and you're talking about it, your, your wonder level goes up. We have to constantly be, be, be replenishing those things because sin just drains it out of us. So does this distracted world and we can't fight for it. If you want to figure out how to get involved in an anchor community or an anchor, anchor huddle, you can come talk to me. Or there's an orange sign in the back that has two QR codes. One says huddles, one says communities. Click that, hit the button, sign up, and we'll get back to you. All right? It's very easy to do, but live in groups. Julie, I'm going to have you come up and get ready to, to close us here. We want to fight to see Jesus again for the first time. We want to live in groups. Church, as Christians, our wonder level of him should not go down, it should go up. You will never exhaust how amazing he is. You're never going to get to the end of it. It's not like finishing a Netflix series where you're like, all right, well, what's next? There is no what's next. He is what's next. Especially when we think about the fact that we live for his kingdom because he is the king. We do so with joy uh, because he saved us, church, because we are his body. May it be that we, we live our lives for his glory and his name. Constantly. May we not fall into this trap of just forgetting. May we know him. Amen? Let's do so together. We pray for us and then we'll sing. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.